Well, thank you. Well, good morning. How's everybody? You recovered from the Christmas fog, I hope? And uh, or maybe you haven't. Maybe you're like me and you're still uh, throwing away empty boxes and putting uh, batteries in toys right now. So, uh, well, listen, I, I just want to say I, I am uh, grateful to, to be with you guys. I love being with you guys uh, and the few opportunities that I have here and here and there throughout the year. And uh, uh, I do want to say that, uh, man, it, it is an honor to be with y'all. You, you, you have such a sweet spirit, and you have no idea what I say about you when I'm not with you, when I go back home or I go back to our Van Dyke campus, and it's just such a sweet, warm spirit here, and uh, so much of that is just because you've got an incredible pastor who, um, man, loves you guys, and I just want you to know, man, I'm honored to be filling in for him, and while he's getting away and hopefully getting a little bit of rest, because uh, that joker works hard, so uh, we're going to pray for Pastor Chris. Well, listen, if you've got a Bible, you could start making your way to, to the book of Psalms in chapter 119, and um, while you're doing that, let me just ask you a question, just since we are kind of, it's still Christmas, right? I mean, I know it's, it was yesterday, and uh, some of you are going, man, praise God, it's over. All right, <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's stop the buying, let's stop the wrapping, and up till all hours of the night. But, uh, man, I love this season, and I, I, I don't want it to end. How many of you are like me? You, listen, the tree's going to be up for a while. Anybody else? You're just like, you don't want it to end. The music's still playing. The tree's going to be up. How many of you guys, the tree's coming down, and it's going to be gone by the end of the week? Oh, uh, we're going to pray for you guys. But, um... <laughs> Listen, I love it. I mean, I love everything about it, and um, man, I, I love just, just you know, the, the songs. I love the decorations. I love the spirit of just, man, what is Christmas, and I mean, if you've been a part of it, and whether it's Christmas Eve services, or maybe you have the traditions in your own home of reading the Christmas story, you know, this last couple days and last few weeks has been really centered around what is, you know, man, the story of Jesus, right? But um, and, and, and we've celebrated that story. We celebrated it yesterday. We've, we've read the story. We've sang songs about the story of, of the birth of Jesus. But I want to ask you a question this morning as we jump into Psalm 119 together, and that is simply this, man. Listen, do I really believe the story? Now, I know in front of a bunch of church people, especially church people who, who are here the day after Christmas, right? That's kind of a duh question. You're like, hello, all right? The rest of the world, my neighbors are not getting out of bed today. I'm here. It's Christmas day after in, in church. I believe the Christmas story. But listen, I, I want to help you understand something. That Listen, what, something you probably already know, and that is this, that we live in a biblically illiterate society, don't we? I mean, if you've had any kind of conversation with anybody in the last few days or few weeks, we've been shopping and just asking people, man, what do you, man, what's Christmas to you? And man, what's Christmas mean to you? And listen, you'd be shocked at the answers that we got from people working the retail counters in the mall. The answers you go, hello, they just don't get it, right? And, and we want the celebration of Christmas, but we miss out on the person of Christmas, at least culturally. And we, we live in a world today and in a nation that is ever increasing in its biblical illiteracy and we've missed it right and I think much of that is in direct relation to Christians who man when we speak of the story of God and the person of God man in some ways we've lost a little bit of our punch and our confidence in the story of God I, I read some things interesting just uh, recently of some statements that that little children wrote about the Bible when asked questions of stories of the Bible, and, and I love this. So let me just read a couple of them. Here's what some of these children said when they were explaining them the stories of the Bible. One of them said this. It says that Jesus was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption, right? <laughs> Here's another one that says, that says Lot's wife 
Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. All right. Another one said this. It says that Moses died before he ever reached Canada. And then, then Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jeritol. All right. It said, another kid said this. It's Solomon, um, one of David's sons. He had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. Right? It's great. It said this, it said that uh, the people who followed the Lord were called the 12 decibels. <laughs> and so here's the deal. If you didn't get any of those jokes, you further illustrate my point that we live in a biblically illiterate society. But, but you know, we, we do, right? I mean, you, you ask your neighbors, you ask your classmates at school, you ask people who don't get up the day after Christmas and come to church and load up their family, man, who is Jesus and what is this Bible about and this word that you hold in your hand? And Well, you'll get any array of, of answers in response to that question, won't you? And some of it if, it, if you're like me, man, it ought to break your heart to go, man, man we live in a world they just don't get it. And quite often, listen, I, I, I'm a student pastor, and so I've been doing that for the last, I don't know, 12, 13 years, and man, I, I run across students who commonly say this to me. They say, listen, I want to tell my friends about Jesus. I want to share with them the stories of the Bible, but I'm afraid that they're going to ask me questions that I don't know the answers to. You ever been there? And I, and I think sometimes we kind of almost back away from standing boldly on truth because either we don't truly believe it or we can't confidently articulate it. So here's what I want to do this morning as we've been just in this season of celebrating the story and the person of God. I want to share with you very simply of why I believe in the Bible, all right? I just want to share with you why I believe in the Bible. So if you're in Psalm 119, I want to walk you through this because Psalm 119 is great. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's the longest chapter in all of the Bible. In fact, what the longest chapter in all of the Bible has to say and what it's talking about is simply this, the Bible. I love it. And, and, and man, as you study Psalm 119, we don't have time to dissect all of it because it's massive, but, but man, if you look through it, the number eight is kind of stamped all over Psalm 119. It's broken up into many, many sections. Each section is broken up into eight different verses. There's eight special names of God used throughout Psalm chapter 119. There's eight symbols of the word of God that's given. There's eight different responses that the, the believer ha should have in responsibility to the word of God. And if you look up, man, the number eight and what it means literally in the Hebrew language, it's simply this, abundance. It means abundance. And what I want you to see this morning, church, is simply this. And why we talk about, man, why I believe in the word of God and the Bible is simply this. That, man, when we dive into it, when we wrap our hearts, our brains, and our lives around the word of God, the end result is abundance in our life. It's abundance and confidence. And I want to share with you this because I have one really simple goal this morning as we walk through this together. Maybe it's one goal in two parts, and that's this. That you walk out of here more confident when you go and read the Word of God and when you share the Word of God. And maybe the second part of this is that you walk out of here more compelled to start a new year and a new season and devoted to spending time in the Word of God. Amen? So, so Psalm 119, let's just read through these together. I'm going to read the first eight verses to you. And by the way, if, man, if you're new to, to, to this Christian thing, and there's some words in here that may trip you up, but, but I want you to know that God, even in Psalm 119, He uses many words and many different terms to describe the Bible. You're going to see words like decrees, law of the Lord, precepts, commands, right, that, that are all basically different variations and different terms that describe the Bible, okay? And so here, let's read it together. It says this, blessed are 
Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the word of God, the law of the Lord. It says, blessed are you, blessed are you who keep his statutes. They seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong when they walk in his ways. It says, God, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I lean, as I learn on your, your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Here's what I want you to see this morning. As we study this together, I want to give you three simple thoughts of why I believe in the Bible, all right? And number one, if you're taking notes, it's simply this, that it's accurate, all right? The, the Word of God is, is accurate. One of the biggest questions that I get from students in conversations, I mean, how, how do I even know this is real, right? Like, how do I explain the person of God when I have to use the Word of God and somebody asks me or questions me, well, how, do you, how can you even believe the Bible, right? How, how do I know that it's, that it's real, well, again, listen, we don't have hours to walk through this in apologetics, right, and, and to look at every aspect, but I want you to see, man, it's, it's accurate factually. It's accurate historically. If you grew up in, in, you know, in, in public school or elementary school, maybe even private school, you've heard things you know, taught about you know, kind of the origins of man and history of, of, of our great nation. And you, you've probably heard this little rhyme, right? Do you remember this one? All right, you, you, you could fill it in the back half of this one if you remember this one. But it says this, in 1492, <laughs> yeah, you had the same third grade teacher I did, right? And so... Right, but you remember that stuff, and what's interesting is I even think about, you know, even in history, I mean, something as simple as, man, the, the story of, of, you know, them finding the new world and discovering explorers, you remember the argument against it, right, and why they were afraid to travel across the ocean, what was it, that the earth was what? It was flat, right? But listen, here's a crazy thing that even, you know, uh, several hundred years ago, that if, that if Columbus, these explorers, would have just looked to the word of God, that history would have proven itself to be accurate, right? Look in, look in um, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it says this, that he, God, it says that he sits enthroned above the what? The circle of earth. Hello, Columbus. If y'all just look to the word of God, you may have found the new world a whole lot earlier, right? Why? Because listen, it's historically accurate, right? It's historically accurate. I mean, it's scientifically accurate. It's prophetically accurate. Did you know when you, when you study the word of God that there's these, this word called prophecy that pops up? And prophecy is simply this. It's kind of a, it's a biblical prediction of something that is to come, right? And listen, it's, it's a little bit deeper and broader and, and more impactful than a prediction that you and I would make, right? Like, like I could predict that the Bucks are going to come back and win out their season and everyone else at the top of them is going to lose and they're going to make it into the playoffs. And then they're going to go on this incredible wild card run and they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. And the rest of you are looking at me like that's probably never going to happen, right? And so are they mathematically eliminated yet? I don't know. I don't think they are. I think there's like a 2% chance they could get in, but well, that would be a pretty bold and audacious prediction for me to make here this morning, right? And some of you would say very foolish one, but, but I could say, man, it's going to happen. And listen, if some crazy thing happened in a month from now, the Bucks found themselves playing in the Super Bowl, you might wake up and just think, hey, that crazy Pastor Canals was kind of right. That was weird, you know, but that may be the end of that thought. 
But in these prophecies in the Bible, what you need to understand is that it wasn't like some guy, you know, who, who tapped into God, woke up and said, hey, here's what's going to happen, you know, at the end of this calendar year, at the end of the next month, and I'm going to predict this. Man, these guys were predicting things that were going to outlast them for generations to come. They were going to predict things that would happen, some of it not even in their lifetime, but several hundred years from now. What you need to understand is that, man, these prophecies in the Bible, that there's over 3,200, over 3,200 of them that have already been fulfilled. Listen, these weren't accidents that just, you know, kind of came together and we go, wow, look at that. Let's, let, let's, let's dive into the word of God because God's sometimes right. Listen, over 3,200 prophecies in the Bible have been fulfilled. Did you know this? Out of the 3,200 that have been fulfilled, over 400 of them are about Jesus. Listen, you've celebrated them th this past month, and you may not even realized it, right? I mean, think about this. In, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, look at this. Here's just a few of them, for example. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this. It says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans and the nations in, in Judah, it says, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel and over everything. Listen, what was he talking about? He's talking about the birthplace of Jesus, right? So you had this prophet several hundred years before the birth of Christ saying, hey, listen, the Messiah's coming, and guess what? He's going to be born out of Bethlehem. And you go, well, great. That's, that's kind of a lob softball pitch of prophecies, right? Well, let me give you another one here. Check this out in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This one may have been a little more audacious than just saying, hey, the Messiah is coming to this particular city. But Isaiah said this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Emmanuel. Can you imagine that the prophet Isaiah is standing up and boldly proclaiming several hundred years before the birth of the Messiah that, hey, listen, he's going to be born, and guess what? He's not going to be born in any way that you and I have ever been born. It's going to be a virgin birth. Hello. Probably not real popular at the moment. But check this out. Listen, these prophecies go deeper than just the stuff that we sing about in Christmas carols, right, and celebrate at nativity scenes. Look at this one goes a little bit deeper, maybe a little bit more pointed. Look at Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 41, verse 9. It says this. It says, even my close friend. It says, someone I trust in, one who I shared bread with, has turned against me. Who is he talking about? The psalmist, Judas. It's several hundred years before Jesus was even born, he was predicting that one of his closest friends would betray him. Guys, listen, these weren't accidents. This is the accuracy of the word of God that says, listen, over 3,200 of these have been fulfilled. Over 400 of Jesus alone have been fulfilled. It doesn't stop there. There are literally hundreds. There are prophecies predating the, the first breath of Jesus' earthly existence here that says, listen, he's going to be born of a virgin that he'd be born of, of a woman, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David, all prophesied. It was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be a forerunner to John the Baptist, that he would be anointed by the Holy Spirit. They, they, they prophesied about his preaching ministry, his parables, his healing ministry. They prophesied hundreds of years before he was born that he would be mocked, that he would be beaten, that he would be spat on, that he would be betrayed, that he would be abandoned. They prophesied his triumphal entry. They said he would come like no other, that he would be a prophet, that he would be crucified amongst transgressors, that his garments would be cast for lots, that he would cry from the cross. 
They prophesied that no bones would be broken, that his side would be pierced, that he would be buried among the rich, that he would be resurrected and exalted, and that he would ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. Every single one of those things prophesied and fulfilled. Amen? Listen, God's word is accurate, and you can stand on it and approach it with great confidence. And it's accurate historically. It's accurate factually. That's just 30 of them, guys. There's over 400 of Jesus. Over 3,200 prophecies in all of Scripture. Listen, it's, active, it's accurate scientifically. I read about this, uh, this guy, this professor. His name was Dr. Peter Stoner, and the inner sixth grader chuckles every time, paging Dr. Stoner. Anyway, um, but, but he, he went through this, and he started calculating, you know, kind of the probabilities of these prophecies. This guy was not a believer. This guy was not a churchman. He was just a scientist, and he said this. He said, hey, listen, all right, let, let's, let's boil all this down, right? You said there's over 400 prophecies of Jesus that have been fulfilled, over 3,200 prophecies in all the Bible have been fulfilled. What would be the probability of these things coming to fruition, right? And so here's what he did. He said, listen, I'm going to take just eight of them. Let's just take eight and calculate what would happen, right? And so here's what he said. He said, if we took eight prophecies that, you know, from several hundred years ago that multiple people had said and that they came to fruition, he said that the odds of eight of them coming true would be one in 10 to the 17th power, right? It's at one in 10 to the 17th power. That's just eight prophecies. By the way, this is what it looks like. Go ahead, Daniel. That's the odds of just eight. How many of Jesus? Over 400. How many in all the Bible? Over 3,200. And so uh, Dr. Stoner wasn't done. He says, man, listen, that's interesting. He says, but let's go a little bit further, right? There's over 400 of Jesus, over 3,200 prophecies in all of Scripture that have been fulfilled with a complete accuracy, pinpointed, without mistake. He says, that was just eight. What if we took, I don't know, let's say 48, And so he calculated and and looked at the probability of 48 prophecies, and he says 48 prophecies would have been the equivalent of of coming true of 1 in 10 to the 157th power. This is what it would look like. He said, guys, listen, the the word of God is not a mistake. What, What you woke up for this morning and got dressed up for to come and to sing about and open up and study and learn more about is not just some ritualistic thing for moral people to feel better about themselves to go out into a messed up world. I mean, it's the word of God that you can stand on with accuracy and confidence and walk out of here with your head high going, God, if you're for me, nothing's against me because of the truth of your word. Amen? And it's accurate. And with that, we can have great confidence. Listen to me, there's more historical evidence and literary evidence of the existence of Jesus than there was of William Shakespeare. But yet as Christians, we walk around sometimes afraid to engage with a neighbor across the street or a person sitting across from us at homeroom because we go, I don't don't know if they're going to buy into this because truthfully, in the heart of our hearts, have we really bought into it? And the story that we celebrated this month God's saying, I want it to be your story. And I want your story to change forever so that it can be my story living through you. And that you can live on it and stand with it with confidence. Guys, it's accurate, without error, without contradiction. It's timeless, it's tested, it's truthful. Man, you don't have to check your brains at the door to become a follower of Jesus, amen? Because, man, it is accurate. But here's the second thing I want you to see. Because God's word does more than, than, than educate your mind and impact your mind. It does something to our hearts as well, right? God's word's not only accurate, 
But watch this, God's word is alive. Man, it's alive. It's more than just some dry, dusty theology book sitting on, you know, on the shelves in our, in our house. Man, it's alive. And what I want you to see, what you possess in your hands, whether it's in, in black ink on white pages or whether it's in digital form on an iPhone or iPad, what I want you to see this morning is that what you possess, listen to me, it's not a roadmap for life. And I know what pastors mean when they say that, or at least what they're trying to mean when they say that, but it drives me crazy. What you hold in your hands is a roadmap for life. Uh, No, it's not. It's so much bigger than that. It's more than an instruction manual. Listen, I've looked at my share of instruction manuals this past weekend trying to assemble things. Hello, somebody, dad's in the house. Can we get some verbiage besides just pictures that aren't even to scale? You know what I mean? I mean, it's not an instruction manual to assemble your new entertainment system. It's not an instruction manual for life. It's the very heartbeat of God. Placed at your fingertips so that you can get to know him. And then he can invade your life and instruct you and educate you and to guide you. Listen, this is a supernatural book. Just, just, just wrap your braids around this for a second. Over 40 different authors that writ, wrote in three different languages that spanned over 1,500 years compile what you and I hold in our hands as the word of God. And guess what? All of the different authors over all the different languages, over all the different years, they're all saying the same message, the same theme, the same story woven through every page and every book of the Bible, and that is that, listen, and you and I need a redeemer, and his name is Jesus. That doesn't just happen by accident. Why? This word is accurate, but it's also, man, it's a lie. I love Lee quoted this morning already, and Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 says, The word of God, it is living and it is active. He wants to do more than educate your minds, man. He wants to transform your hearts. Look what happens when we get into the word of God back in Psalm 119. I want you to see this. Look in verse 9. It says this How can a young man keep his way pure? Think that's a big question in our society today? No bones about it by living according to your word. He says, I will seek you with all my heart. How do I not stray from you? How do I not stray from your commands? Verse 11, I have, I have hidden your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. Man, how do I have praise? How do I have joy in my life? God, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I find joy when I recount with my lips the laws, the truth that come from you, God, from your mouth. God, I rejoice in following your statutes, following your word as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. Guys, when you get into the word of God, you find something really impactful that the word of God begins to get into you. And your understanding of God will begin to change. Your love of God will begin to deepen. Your values will become adjusted. Your daily life will become impacted. And your desire to follow him more will begin to expand. Why? Because it's alive. Um, a couple summers ago, we, we were doing camp, right? And, um, you know, we take several hundred kids to camp every year. And we go to Lake Placid down kind of by Sebring, Florida, in the middle of the state. And it's like, it's middle of nowhere. This uh, camp is outside of Sebring. And, and um, a couple years ago, I had, uh, 
we built relationships with public schools around us, and, and uh, we've been spending a lot of time at, at Gaither High School, because it's right across the street from our Van Dyke campus, and, you know, pouring into these coaches, pouring into the JV coaches. In fact, just last week, we hosted their, their end-of-the-year, you know, season banquet, um, and, and, and uh, we invited those guys to come with us to camp. Now, you know, those guys aren't church people. Most of them aren't. We had some people in our church who were gracious enough and bought into the vision and the mission of God enough to say, hey, we'll give some scholarship money, go out and get them. And so we scholarshiped about 10 or 12 guys from the, the Gaither football team to come to camp with us for free. And so it was their first experience at camp. I mean, these guys were just, I mean, these were man's man. You know what I mean? They were athletic. They were just intense. And so we brought them to camp. And, man, we're fired up. And, uh, you know, we split up camp and do, you know, recreation and points by different colored teams, right? And so you've got all eight different colored teams. And so all these Gaither football guys were on one particular colored team together. We thought, man, this would be a good idea. I mean, they don't know anybody else. Let's make sure we keep them together. At least they know somebody. And so that was our thinking, like, before we got to camp and then once we got to camp we thought maybe this wasn't a good idea because man during recreation games they were getting so fired up and so intense that we thought what have we done right I mean we're playing dodgeball games and they're destroying everybody and not only that but they're like taunting them you know it's like the stuff you get 15 yard penalties for in the NFL they don't care they're like throat slashing and calling people out it was crazy and I'm having adult leaders you know from from our ministry they're coming here going Cash, you got to do something because like our church kids are getting scared right and I'm like, that's okay, listen, it's going to be all right. And so that was just the first day, right? The second day goes on, I mean, and it's getting more intense with more rec games. I'm thinking, i got to do something. And so, you know, I'm pulling the guys aside. I'm trying to tell them, like, hey, listen, compete, win. I know you don't get all this churchy stuff, and you understand the rec stuff, but, like, kind of dial it back a notch. We'll give you some bonus points for sportsmanship. I don't know. And so it was just nutty. Well, here's the deal. You need to understand about something the way we do camp. We, we do camp with a very specific and a very strategic schedule to our five days of camp, and that is that every morning you wake up, and we have a written-out um, devotional that we ask every student to do, right? So the first thing they do before their feet hit the floor and they go to breakfast, they've got a, a quiet time, a devotional time with God where they're in God's Word. And then after that, they eat breakfast and they go to a morning worship service. After that, they go to a small group Bible study within their color team, their family group. After that, they have lunch and they have recreation and they have some free time. And then, guess what? We do dinner and we come right back and we do an evening worship service. And then after the evening worship service, we go back to our cabins and we do like another debrief time at, within their family group, their color teams, uh, where they talk about the Word of God and what's been teaching them. So if you catch the theme here, like from morning till night, they're in the Word of God like constantly, right? Well, by like the fourth night of camp. I get a leader come pounding on the door of my cabin. They say, listen, you've got to go to the guy's dorm. Something crazy is going on in there. Like, it's upstairs. It's those Gaither football guys. They're just going nuts. They're yelling. I mean, the roof is shaking. You've you got to go over there and do something. It, it's out of control. And I'm thinking, here we go again, right? Maybe this is not a good idea. So I go into the, into the cabin. And sure enough, they're on the second floor, and I'm underneath on the first floor, and the whole second floor, it's shaking. The building is shaking, <laughs> and I don't know if it's a riot. You know, they started picking fights with other colored teams. I don't know what's going on. So I go upstairs, I go into their room, and I see all 12 of these Gaither football players standing kind of in a semicircle huddled around one of the bunk beds, and as I'm walking into the room, I see kind of through the crowd of football players that their counselor is sitting on the bunk bed, and everyone else is standing around them yelling, I'm thinking they're about to sacrifice this guy he's about to die like I don't know what's happening right here and so I come in the room I'm like hey what y'all doing 
And they all turn around and look at me and, and, and kind of the, the, the seas part a little bit, right? And, and now I get a full view of their counselor and their counselor is sitting on the edge of this bunk bed. And what I didn't see when I first walked in the room, I see now is he's got his counselor manual folded open onto his lap. Well, in the last page of our counselor manual, what we do, we give points for recreation, all this stuff to be champs of camp. Well, on the last page of our counselor manual, we give bonus points for students who can memorize the books of the Bible by name and order. And then we typically study a book of the Bible like Ephesians or Philippians for the whole week and they get bonus points for quoting and memorizing passages of scripture out of that particular book of the Bible. What I walked into was these football players who were standing in front of their counselor and they were reciting verses that they had been memorizing. (laughs) And every verse that they got right the counselor would look up at him and put a big check mark on it for bonus points and go, you got it. And the second he would put that check mark on it, the whole room of football players would erupt. I mean, they went crazy. They're yelling and high-fiving and chest bumping and the roof's shaking. And what everybody else thought, these guys are out of control. I just walked out of the room and go, y'all keep at it. Bring the walls down for all I care because y'all are getting into the word of God. And let me just tell you something, by the last day, Eight of those guys gave their heart to Jesus and seven of them got baptized in the lake the day we left for camp. And here's the deal. What I want you to understand is this has nothing to do with our camp. It has everything to do with the power of the word of God. And listen, when you get into the word of God, it does something, it gets into you. Why? Because it's more than just education for your mind. It transforms your heart. It's alive. It's alive. And you ought to stand boldly when you speak it and boldly when you share it, but you ought to approach it boldly that God has something for you. He has something for you every day. Why? It's alive. And if you're like me, some of you say, well, listen, I just, I don't, I've tried. I just, I don't always feel it. You ever been there? I tried to have a quiet time. I tried to get into God's word. I just don't, I don't, I don't feel it constantly. You ever been there? I woke up in the morning, I read a few verses, I tried praying something, all right, I'm done with my cinnamon toast crunch, what am I going to go do? And you just didn't feel anything. See, I think we get a little bit backwards. Because I've been there too. But God's saying, hey, listen, you got to hang on. We're getting the cart before the horse. Can can I just ask you, do do me a favor, I need a couple helpers up here. Um, um, uh, John, would you help me out? You're close, I'm sorry. And uh, can I have one of you guys? Can I, can I have you come on up? Come on, I'm not to embarrass you. Come on up. I promise I won't embarrass you. All right, and then uh, let, me ha- let me have one more. Uh, Lee, come on up. I'll, I'll bring you up here since I know. All right, John, so let me ha- here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm just going to ask you to stand right here on the edge of this stage right here, okay? And then Lee, come on up here, and uh, you, you can stand in the, in the middle. And what's your name, bro? DJ. DJ, good to meet you. All right, DJ, you're going to stand here, and I want all, all three of y'all to face just that exit sign, all right? And just stand right at the edge of the stage, if you would. Just right on the edge, right? Because here's what I want you to see. Because I, I read a, a story about a guy by the name of Watchman Nee. If you've ever read any of Watchman Nee's stuff, it's incredible. You need to read his books if you've never read Well, Watchman Nee said this. He says, the, the, the Christian life is like this. That approaching God and God's word is like this. It's like three guys walking atop a city wall. Now, this guy was kind of, you know, ancient Chinese in mindset, right? He had kind of that old school thinking. So, you know, big wall around the city. And he said, so, so the, word, the word of God and approaching God is like three men walking atop the city wall. And he says, here's, this, this blew me away. He says, for much of us, man, we go around thinking about feelings. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, um, uh, DJ, you're, you're going to be facts, okay? F-A-C-T-S. He's going to be facts. And Lee... You're going to be faith, all right? And John, you get to be Mr. Feelings, all right? Your wife's going to be glad. All right, and so you get to be feeling. 
And so here's what happens. He says that, listen, it's like three men walking atop the city wall. But listen, if we get it in the right order, man, that everything works out. But if we're walking atop the edge of this city wall and we keep our eyes on the facts that, man, guess what? Our faith is going to grow. But here's what happens for most of us in our Christian life when we say, I'm going to approach the word of God. Yes, it's accurate. Yes, it's alive. But how come when I go to it, I just don't feel anything? Because I think for many of us, Lee, here's what's happening. We're trying to walk like this. And we're trying to walk with our eyes on feelings. And guess what? When we're walking that way, we're going to lose our balance a little bit. Right? You got a bad knee, my bad. (laughs) Don't sue me. Sue Chris. Anyway, so, but here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see. That if we're walking in right step, guess what? That if we're focusing on the facts, that is the truth of God, the word of God, guess what? Our faith will grow and our feelings will always follow. You guys can have a seat. Thank you all so much. Give me a hand. In other words, listen, your emotions will follow your devotions. But for some of you, man, you haven't been devoted long enough, consistently enough for those feelings to grow and to change. He says, listen, I rejoice in following your decrees. I rejoice. And when's the last time you read God's word and go, God, I just rejoice in following, following and reading your word rather than, well, that was just painful, Right? Why? Because we've got our eyes focused on our feelings, not on the facts, and trust that your feelings will follow. Why? Listen, God's word is alive, and it's accurate. Here's the last one I want you to see, and we're going to go. It's simply this, that God's word, it's available. It's available. Listen, it's not even on New York Times bestseller list because it's, it's a slam dunk every year, but it's number one bestselling book every single year, every year that over 26 million copies of God's word are sold every year. And if you were to add up the next top books, next three or four top books collectively, they wouldn't even be the equivalent of 12 million. God's word is, it's in every fashion, every form. It's in print, it's in web, it's on devices. It's, it's in the backs of pews and churches all over the place. And listen, man, we've got more access to copies of the word of God in our nation than ever before in human history. Why? It's available. It's available. But you need to understand something, man. Listen, there are Christians that are not in our nation that are all over, their, all over the rest of the world that are willing to sacrifice their lives to carry and to hold a copy of God's word, one copy just for themselves. But listen, it's available to us. That's kind of a duh All of us have copies of it. Most of us have multiple copies. Some of you have one in your car. I've got one in my glove box. And then you've got one, you know, at your desk in your office. You've got one at your house. You've got a couple on bookshelves. You've got that big fat one family Bible that your grandmama gave you when you got married with like the picture of the naked baby angels inside of it. And it's just weird. But you've got that copy too, right? Like you've got all of them. You've got them in different translations and, you know, every different way. You've got the Greek and the Hebrew study. You've got all this different stuff. And listen, it's a available to us, but here's the question. It's not as God's word available to us, because in America, the answer is a resounding yes. The question is simply this, are we available to it? Have we made ourselves and our lives available to being in the word of God? Listen, we are resource rich, but commitment poor. God's saying, hey, listen, if this is really real, this is really accurate, the story that we sang and we celebrated and that we've studied this past season of Christmas, if it's really real, why not devote your life to it? Why not get into God's word on a regular basis, committed to it, 
bringing in the new year and then all the way through 2016 going, God, my number one resolution on the top of my list is not lose weight, quit smoking, diet, do all this stuff, but it's to know you and to pursue you like I never have before in any other year of my life. And it starts by getting into your word. Are you available to it? Look at verse 15 in Psalm 119. He says this, he says, He says, I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. It's more than a bumper sticker verse or something on the lock screen of your phone, but he says, listen, I'm gonna meditate on it. God, I wanna make myself available to it, not just in space in my calendar, but space in my heart. I wanna meditate on it and consider your ways. And then watch this, verse 16, I will delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word. You know, it takes 21 days to create a new habit. That's what they say. I don't know who they is, but that's what they say. (laughs) 21 days. What if you started for the first 21 days of this new year? Maybe you get a jump start this week and start a new habit of devoting yourself on the Word of God to get to know the person of God so you can live out the mission of God in your life like never before. Why? Because it's worthy of it. It's accurate. It's alive. It's available. Are you available to it? Listen, it's more than just some exercise and and devotion and your discipline, but it's something that could transform you and transform your entire life if you get after it. It's more than getting up and just grinding it out and wrenching your teeth and going, I gotta do this, but saying, God, I get to know you today better. I I took my wife to a restaurant a few months ago, and uh, actually probably a little bit longer than a few months ago now, but it's this restaurant I've been telling my wife about forever, and finally we got over there to do it, but if you've ever been in that Plant City area, in fact, they've got a few more of them now, but if you've ever been in that Plant City area, you've been to Fred's Market. Anybody been to Fred's over there? <laughs> the rest of you, you just need to hop in the car right after church and just head on over because, listen, it's unbelievable, right? It's the greatest home cooking, like, buffet style, and I'm not talking like buffet where they just slap on, you know, quantity and the qu- quality goes down. I mean, this is top grade, unbelievable. I mean, old school redneck, grandmama's in her Wrangler jeans and flannels, shucking peas when you walk in the door type of home cooking. It's unreal, right? And I've been telling my wife about this. I'm like, baby, this is incredible. I got to take you to Fred's. This is so great. I love this restaurant. You need to know something about me. Like, like, like my love language is food, right? <laughs> Anybody else, you feel me? It's like not, not touch, words of affirmation, just give me a biscuit or a big old cheeseburger. I'm in, you know? And, and so, like, I, I'm like, babe, we are going to Fred's. And so, I mean, I'm hyping this thing to her forever, what's been months. And we had this one day off. The kids were still in school. It was a Friday. And so, I'm like, baby, we're getting the car. Let's go to Fred's. And so, we roll over to Plant City. And we took her little, little antique in and all that kind of stuff, you know. We're just, you know, sweetening the deal. And so, we go and sit down at Fred's. And I'm like, I don't need to see a menu. Let's just go to the buffet bar. And I'm wearing this out. I'm three or four trips deep into this thing. I'm crushing it. I'm talking, I, I, you know, macaroni and cheese with bacon in it. Hello, somebody. I mean, uh, you know, the collard greens and, oh, stewed tomatoes, cheese grits at one in the afternoon. Come on. And so I, I'm just wearing it out. And I sit down with my wife, and I promise you, I'm so fired up. I'm so engrossed in this thing. It's the greatest thing ever. And I tell my wife, I said, Terry, what do you think? Is this not great or what? And she looks at me, and she goes, it's all right. <laughs> Get behind me, center. And I'm like, I go, all right. I, we almost signed up for marriage counseling right then. You know, like, all right? Like, what are you talking? This is unbelievable. And here's what she said to me. She goes, she goes, she goes, you need to understand something. She said, 
for you, food is an experience. She goes, for me, the experience is just being with you. I felt about that small. <laughs> and then it hit me. I'm like, you know, that's a lot how I try to approach God, isn't it? And sometimes the experience is putting up a tree and singing the Christmas songs and opening presents. Sometimes the experience is getting up and getting dressed, grabbing my Bible while all my neighbors are sleeping in and getting ready for the pregame for, on NFL and going to church. That's the experience. Sometimes the experience of, of God's word as well. I, I've got to get up. I've got to read a couple verses. I've got to pray something because I've been taught, you know, in Sunday school, I've got to, you know, pray however you're supposed to do it, you know, whether it's, you know, adoration, confession, and all stuff, whatever, the Acts model, the, you know, uh, however you go about it, I've got to read something, and I'm going to check it off, and that's the experience. Now I can go and just close that chapter and go and live out the rest of my day, but I've, I've kind of appeased God because I spent some time in his word, and that was the experience. But listen, don't miss that this. What God's trying to tell you this morning and impress on all of our hearts, including this guy, is simply this. That you could take it to bank. What you and I hold and what we possess and what we carry is the accurate, living, powerful word of God that's available to you and I. And the experience is not just some new plan where you I have 365 days. I can start in January 1 and read through the Bible again. And do, Listen, you approach it, you do it however it works best for you. But the experience is is meeting with him. The experience is getting to know him and his heartbeat. Listen, it looks differently for me than it does my wife. My wife can study, she'll spend time with God, and she'll read three or four chapters, she'll read a devotional, she'll write stuff in her journal. And I'm like, baby, I got like spiritual ADD. I have to read like three verses. That's it. That's all I can comprehend like in a morning or in a set. I'll read three, maybe four verses. I love the, the I, I, I still use the NIV. It may not be like the greatest translation. I love it just because it breaks things down in like paragraphs and I can go and just read one section with a paragraph and I'll mull it over and I'll study it and I'll kind of milk those three or four verses and I've got one central thought and one central thing because I got so many things to work on. God, just give me one that I can just get my hand, hands on to and my head around today. But listen, that's just how I approach God's word. There's a point, it's not about distance, it's about depth. God said, hey, what are you going to do with my word this year? It's his very heartbeat, written to you and I, to know him more, to live out for him. Amen? Let's make 2016 a year that be marked by knowing, memorizing, meditating, sharing, and living out the truth of God like never before. Amen? Let me pray for you and we'll go. King Jesus, we love you. We thank you that, um, that God, that you, you speak to hearts and that you, um, you convict us, but you can do it with, with confidence on